0: Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions, because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: Yes, welcome to The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, aided and abetted by yours truly. I'm Dean Holland. How are you this morning, Charlie?
2: I am just over the moon with joy looking at
1: the forecast forecast. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to really, really warm up, isn't it? And yesterday was pretty brisk.
2: Exactly. Well, I mean, it's crystal blue, clear at my house right now. I shouldn't say. I'm, like, oh. I, I hope we don't go from winter to summer with no spring in between. Right. Uh, it is looking very warm, but still, just the fact that things are going to dry up a little bit, and you know, the the robins are going to get some worms. <laughs> like all yeah. that stuff is good, yeah, for right? Sure
1: um that sound effect really hit me in a way that it hasn't before that during our opening music that popping sound right because that's what's happening everywhere right now those little buds are just they're just itching to get out and i keep going into the garden i'm sure many many are and you are in your garden they're just popping up everywhere
2: absolutely oh yeah oh the lawns are turning greener everything's really starting to perk up so yeah it's a it's a beautiful day and it's a you know happy Easter obviously to everybody mm-hmm. uh, beautiful weekend for Easter happy Passover as well
1: yes and happy belated birthday to you oh thank you fellow <laughs> Aries yes I know last <laughs> week was it uh, Wednesday I think yeah Tuesday yeah Tuesday, Tuesday. yeah Tuesday well happy belated oh. Okie Let's give out those numbers, and then I think you have an announcement, but I'll give the numbers out first. If you, uh, We'd love for you to give us a call with any gardening questions, inside c- questions or outside questions, uh, 416-360-0740. That is the Toronto number. Or if you live outside Toronto, anywhere in the province of Ontario, it is a toll-free number. It won't cost you anything. 1-866-740-4740. And so, as I say, you think you had a quick announcement, yeah?
2: Uh, I, I always have a few announcements, but I yeah. just want to um, go back to last week. We left off the show talking about roses. I uh, had a call uh, from Ethel. She, her boxwood became uh, infested with a, a new invasive pest. So we're going to get more calls about boxwood, I'm sure, in the next few months. But bottom line is she wants to know best roses and if I had some suggestions for four roses. Well, I got a great email. Thank you from Edna Caldwell. Uh, she's the director of the Canadian Rose Society. So, you know, this is good advice. And she just wanted to put forth the newest Canadian bred roses as a suggestion. Because, I mean, you may not know this, Dean, but in Canada, we did start breeding roses a number of years ago. Uh, Very, very hardy roses. Roses that are easy to grow, withstand Canadian climate, summers and winters. Um, They tend to be a simpler rose in the sense that they're... They have five petals instead of 500 petals, so they're not fluffy roses, but they're perfect roses for the pollinators. This is what you want. You want the, the original flat flowers for insects to be able to get in and get that, that nectar and move that pollen around. So bottom line is um, Canadian bred roses, the first ones were the Explorer series. Since then, there's been the Artist series and a number of other series. The newest is the 49th parallel series. And they come out of Vineland uh, Research Station down Vineland. Um, they, the names are um, Aurora Borealis, Chinook Sunrise, um, Shield, and the newest one is called Yukon Sun. So that's four super hardy Canadian bread roses. Uh, the Artist Series, um, Edna says one of her favorites is Oscar Peterson or Campfire. Campfire is beautiful. It It's just like a fire. It's all yellows and oranges. It's multicolored. And uh, so thank you for that, Edna. I'd also mention, because you may sometimes have a little trouble finding these roses. Um, that's an issue. They're not always easy to find. Uh, but you will find knockout roses. Knockout, K-N-O-C-K, knockout, number one selling rose anywhere since it was invented now it's an american invention but again they're hardy they're growing on their own roots no fiddling around with winterizing and protecting uh and they come in multi-colors and they also come with double flowers so the knockouts have always been a, a real favorite of mine as well
1: fabulous okay we have to go to our first break we have callers on the line already we will be right back with much more on the garden show
0: don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed, we are back here
1: on The Garden Show. And everybody, I feel like people are chomping at the bit these, <laughs> these days. They just want to, and I'm one of them, just want to plant, want to get out, want to, want to, want to start putting some seeds in the ground.
2: Not yet.
1: Slow down. Okay. Let's just
2: talk for for, for a few weeks, Bill.
1: <laughs> okay, you got it. I will hold my horses, as it were. Okay, let's go to our first caller. We have uh, Bob calling from Scarborough. Welcome to the Garden Show, Bob. Good morning. It's a
3: great day to be upright and keep moving, right? Because I'm so old, I'm afraid to <laughs> stop. Somebody will throw dirt on me. <laughs> anyway, it is what it is. My question is, I have about four or five bags of topsoil, and uh, triple mix that are still in the plastic clear bag and they're starting to turn green. Can I put some uh, weed killer on that and just proceed with it or just get rid of it? Oh, no,
2: don't bother. The green is probably just algae growing inside the bag because of moisture. So I open up the bags if you want to just open them and dry them out, you'll find all that green will disappear. Or take advantage of this coming week. Spread that soil, topsoil, triple mix on the surface of whatever gardens uh, you were wanting to top dress or lawn, whatever the case may be. And you will find that it will be fine once it dries
3: out a bit. It's just it's just algae. Terrific. One quick question. Is is Pacassandra a sun loving plant or does it take shade? It can take anything,
2: or- but it, it thrives in shade. Oh, that's what I wanted nice to know. It's now
1: considered an invasive plant. <laughs> okay.
3: Thank you very much for your time. I always listen to you,
1: sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for the call, Bob. Yeah. Thank you. Well, sorry, what we, and he was asking about uh, pachysandra. is that right? Uh-huh. I don't Pachys- know. That- oh, you know it.
2: It's um, yeah. glossy green oval leaves, it's a ground cover. Okay. Oh, sorry, pachysandra. i sorry. I was flashing onto periwinkle. Bob, I hope you're still there. Pachysandra is not invasive, and it does thrive in shade. It, again, uh, evergreen, glossy leaves, ground cover. Grows about six inches tall, white flowers uh, late spring. And excellent, excellent under uh, trees. Um, It does like a a leaf mulchy kind of a soil. So try and provide good organic matter and it will thrive. Yeah, sorry, he said Pacassandra, and I immediately, my brain went to periwinkle. But no, pakissandra is lovely, very lovely plant.
1: I was surprised. I think we were talking about periwinkle last week. I was surprised that that's considered invasive. Now, uh, can you, in a nutshell, can you, why or what makes something invasive? How? What's the determining factor there?
2: Uh, good question. Um, it's you. I, I have to double check to really come up with the criteria. I would think it's got to do with, usually, it's an alien plant, meaning it's okay. not native. Number two, yeah. it's really, really vigorous, so it over- out-competes and overgrows native plants. And so that's where it can become a problem. And then number three, it is a plant that roots usually in such a way that it becomes almost impossible to eradicate the plant without digging down like two feet down to get every little piece of root out. Like it's just, it's a plant that's just far too happy, far too vigorous.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Let's go to our next caller. We have Joan calling from Niagara. Welcome to the Garden Show, Joan.
3: Thank you. I have a, a problem with the lawn. Last fall, uh, there was too much fertilizer spread and burnt the grass off. Mm-hmm. We uh, soaked it well, hoping to uh, get rid of a lot of the uh, the fertilizer. Mm-hmm. But now, spring is here, and in
4: that spot, I've got nothing but moss. mm mm-hmm. Okay, so do do
2: uh, now? <laughs> how big is the area, Joan?
3: Oh, I'd say about a four or five foot diameter.
2: Okay, so that's not that's pretty manageable. Um, yeah, so good. You know what happened? That it was fertilizer that caused the problem. Fertilizer is salt, so just like any road salt or you know any kind of salt. And plants, they do not mix generally. And so when we put on too much fertilizer, we end up what we call burning the roots. It's actually got to do with the plant's ability to access water. When the salt content is super high, the water is not available to the plants and they die. So what are you going to do? You did what you, the right thing. You tried to neutralize the salt by pouring the water on. If not enough water or not quickly enough, the water was applied, the, the plants died. And what is a lawn anyway? A lawn is just thousands of little plants all growing very close together. So your job is to go out when it sits dry enough to walk out onto the lawn. I would rake out the moss. The moss has grown as a result of some changes that happen there in that area with the salt, the pH, the, all the liquid, the water, etc., um, provided an opportunity for the moss to move in, so now rake that out, just with a fan rake, breaking it up, or or even with a with a um, hard rake, uh, get that out, remove that from the property, bag it up, get yourself some topsoil or some good top dressing, so a good quality lawn top dressing or triple mix rake that all in nice and even, get some seed on as soon as you can, proper good quality grass seed blend if it's sunny or shady or, you know, whatever the the circumstances are, get the right grass seed blend for that area. Uh, Get that out as soon as you can. Light raking just to, Covered a tiny bits so the birds don't take the seeds. And uh, pray for rain, because spring, of course, is an excellent time to get uh, seeds growing. You should be able to get that all patched up and growing. You won't even remember what happened in about six weeks.
4: Marvelous. Thank you very much, Charlie.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Fabulous. Yeah, thanks, thanks Joan, for that call. Uh, a reminder, you can have too much of a good thing. I guess, as far as fertilizer, right? Yeah. Well, for, well, it's
2: like one a day vitamins. Would you take two a day because you'd be twice as healthy? Right. No. No, because you know too many vitamins will kill you. Same thing right. with fertilizer. Like you follow the instructions. It's it's never like too much is a good thing and too much is a bad thing. Just follow the instructions.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Well, my instructions right now is that we hit the pause button and hear some important and appreciated messaging. So we will be right back uh, for more on the Garden Show.
0: Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, we are back with The Garden Show on this beautiful spring day.
1: Hopefully bringing, as you say, some April showers as we are now into April. Yeah. Yeah. It, it brings me flowers. It does, indeed. I, You know, many people get kind of... I don't know i hear rain gets a bad rap i uh, i don't mind it at all i like the rain
2: no no we need the rain we always need rain and and you know there's a whole because we're struggling with climate change and extreme weather events remember keeping any rain on your property for future use is a good idea whether it's in a rain barrel or a cistern or a rain garden or you know just there's so many ways to keep the precipitation, the naturally occurring precipitation, available for the future use of your plants because otherwise, you know, you got to water like crazy when it gets hot and
1: dry in July. Yes, indeed. Good advice as usual. Uh, we are going to Newmarket now. Our next caller is Jean. Welcome to the Garden Show. Jean? Good
4: morning. I want to take a stab at starting seeds from, well, starting seeds. And there's two things I heard you talk about a heating pad and um what is it the other fertilizer to germinate the seeds can you help me please
2: uh, you don't need fertilizer to germinate seeds okay. you might have heard me talking about um a rooting hormone if you're taking cuttings on plants that's oh. different um but yeah no remember when it comes to seeds just like when it comes to bulbs those are little packages of potential. They have everything they need. You all, all we do is provide the environment for them to grow. So no fertilizer when you're starting seeds or bulbs, uh, but provide the environment they need. Um, okay, moisture is a, obviously one thing that seeds need and um, bulbs as well. Different seeds, like there's no one rule for everything. Different seeds do better when they're soaked for... I, up to 24 hours before you plant them. An example would be beets. If you're growing beets, you'll always find you'll get far better germination if you soak the seeds overnight. Um, other seeds, we just uh, lettuce is an example where you just sprinkle it on the surface of the soil because, of course, lettuce needs light to germinate. Most seeds don't need light and need darkness, so they go under the soil. Uh, so, a, a good, just a nice um quality seed starting mix. You'll need that. So that's a finer, gro- finer ground uh, soil. is mix than just a regular potting soil. Moisten it. Uh, Get yourself some nice clean containers to grow into. It could be anything from egg cartons to eggshells to little peat pots. There's lots of little tiny containers, all of which need to have drainage. Get your soil, your soilless, moist, soilless mix in. Look at your package. So like I say, depending on what you're growing, follow the instructions for the depth of the seed you don't need light generally to start seeds so you can have a fairly dark spot. But heat from below really, really is great. It really makes a difference. I used to, back in Richmond Hill, where I had a refrigerator that wasn't enclosed in a cabinet, put my, fl- my, my trays with all my seeds on top of my refrigerator. So it was dark up there. But it was nice and warm because the top of a fridge is really warm. And, uh, and I would just leave them up there, check every day. And as soon as they start to grow, as soon as you see a little bit of green, then you take those green ones off the refrigerator into the sunshine or into your supplemental grow lights.
4: Great. That sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Okay.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for that call, Gene.
2: I I did get busy starting a lot of flower seeds, and then when my daughter came to visit, we got going on the herbs and the vegetables. So I'm I've got quite a little a little uh, acreage growing in my basement as we speak.
1: Wow. Okay. So, and speaking of seeds, I have a package of seeds on my desk. I picked these up a couple of weeks ago. I um, I mean, I'm always on the hunt for a deal. <laughs> and I couldn't help myself. I, I was in my lo- one of the local drugstores up here. Believe it or not, they had a little table with some things they were trying to move. And I picked up a package of seeds for 25 cents. And these are for kohlrabi. Which I remember my grandmother cooked, uh, you know, kohlrabi as, I guess, a type of beet or something like No, no, a uh, turnip or something like that. And so so should I wait with these? Should I bother to try and start them inside? Well, or, what
2: does it say on the package?
1: Well, there you go. Eh? Like I used to tell my kids, read the package. <laughs> uh, it says, um, yeah, so in rich, moist. Soil in early spring. So, I mean, it's early spring, but you're telling me to wait just a little bit longer. Is this too early? Um, it says a depth of about, uh, you know, about a half an inch from soil and thin when the plants are about eight centimeters high. All right, so, right.
2: So, okay, the thing about, so kohlrabi is a member of the same group or family as the cabbages and the broccolis and the cauliflowers okay. and tails. So, excuse me um those well not all of them early spring means early spring we're we're still a little too early i would say that the ground is probably too moist and the seeds could just rot but you will i wouldn't grow start them inside i would go directly outside it's like um peas when you want if you're growing sweet peas or edible peas we do get those out into the ground when it's still cool because the seeds will not germinate if the soil is too warm. So oh, okay. every, you know every plant is different. Uh, so with the kohlrabi, I'd probably wait, like where you are, because you're in Collingwood, yeah. I'd probably wait uh, as much as a couple of weeks, maybe two weeks, three weeks. But remember, that's a fairly big plant, and it needs a good soil, well-drained soil, and because it, it'll rot if it's a wet spot, and sun, lots of sun.
1: Okay, gotcha. Uh, give out those numbers again, uh, 416. 360-0740 is our Toronto number. Or if you'd uh if you live outside Toronto, anywhere else in the province of Ontario, it is toll-free. 1-866-740-4740. And my goodness, I was so excited at the top of that show. I realized I forgot to say a couple of things. First of all, we want you to let Carlos know if you're a first-time caller, because I will give you these, your garden wings. And, uh, yeah, please call off and call early and one question per call, please. And we do have room on the lines, uh, so please give us a call. Give us a shout. We'd love to to handle your questions. Certainly, Charlie will handle your questions. <laughs> um, uh, we're going now to Toronto. We have uh, Debbie on the line. And welcome to the Garden Show, Debbie.
4: Yes, uh, good morning, uh, Charlie and Dean, and uh, happy Easter, Pass over to you both.
0: Um, yes, thank my you. My
4: question is about string of pearls. Um. Mine is very sickly looking, and I'm trying. So, Charlie, can you give me some advice, please? They're in a is this south a plant window. You've had for a long time. Couple months.
2: Oh, just a couple months. Okay, so it's was it, it was a new plant, like somebody gave you from a grocery
4: store? Or is it something you? Market. Did you buy or marketplace? I've got two or three little pearls, and they're all about the same. They're not doing very well, and and they're in a south window.
2: Okay, good. Um, all right. So a couple of things. String of Pearls is a good example of a succulent. So succulents and cacti have something in common, and that is their ability to store water inside the plant for long periods. Uh, a jade plant would be another example of a succulent. You, you know a plant is a succulent when it has thick, fleshy stems and leaves, so, string of pearls is a is a trailing plant, and the leaves are like little round balls, which is why they call it string of pearls. Um, it is a sweet plant. Uh, sometimes people, it, it be, okay, so a couple of things: you south windows, perfect. You want lots and lots of sun, drainage, well drained soil, preferably maybe even a terracotta pot instead of a plastic pot because that helps with the um, moisture. Uh, evaporation from the surface of the soil plus the side of the pot when it's a terracotta pot uh, water very rarely so like, like with a jade we always say you think it's time to water your jade plant you feel the soil, it feels really dry you say to yourself, oh I should water this plant but you don't, you wait another week so whenever you think it's time to water your string of pearls, don't uh, you're probably killing it with too much love
4: okay Okay, because I do have a moisture meter, but uh, I guess most people are just, they want to (laughs) water. They they think they have to water. So, anyways, thank you very much. Well, well, we do. We
2: feel really sorry for our plants if they're like a desert. We're thinking, oh no, this poor plant is going to die. It's so dry. But uh, that's the problem, is that we end up giving too much moisture and the, the plant can't survive. With your moisture meter, if you're using it, make sure the little neater part of the moisture meter goes right down to the dry side, like right to the desert, and then you can water. And when we, when I water, I like to water fairly thoroughly so that the plant gets a good water, the water runs through the drainage holes of the pot, but I never let the pot sit in water. So, you know, 10 minutes later, Dump all the water out of the saucer from below, back into that sunny window, and no more water. It might be you might I mean I have some aloe, I water them twice a year, whether they
1: need it or not. Oh. Okay, okay.
4: Yeah. Very good. Thank you very very <laughs> much for your advice. You're welcome.
1: Okay, thanks, Debbie. Uh, you reminded me, uh, based on something you said a little earlier too, about harnessing the water that comes down. You you are a big fan of uh, of harnessing the outside water and using that for our indoor plants too, right?
2: Um, I do when I can. The other thing I do is we run a dehumidifier in the summer in our basement. Yes. And that's harnessed water. So that water goes out onto the garden. Um, Another example is if you have an aquarium and you're cleaning your fish tank, rejuvenating the water. Don't just dump that down the drain. Take that water either outside or inside and use it on your plants. Like it's great. Um, Fish tank water is some of the best water out there for plants.
1: Wow. See, and we all look at that. We have a fish tank. And what have we been doing for the last seven years? (laughs) When we change the water, it goes right down the toilet.
2: No, yeah, no, use it. It's great. It's full of, because the, the fish are peeing and pooing in the water, right? So yeah. it's got all kinds of nitrates in it. It's actually quite, it's it's fertilized water. It's free fertilizer.
1: Holy cow. Okay, well, that just changed changed our life a little bit. There you go. <laughs> okay, okay, we're going to go to our next caller. Uh, we have uh, John, who is calling from Mississauga. Welcome to the Garden Show, John.
3: Good morning, Dean. Good morning, Charlie. Long time no but I always hear you. Long time no talk, I mean. Like, First no of I all, know. Where you been? Easter and Passover <laughs> too, guys. Um, Charlie, I I sprayed a little while ago, maybe uh, ten days ago, with dormant oil and sulfur. You know my fruit trees, right? Which is my love. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking of spraying again, maybe next week, which is going to be uh, more drier. Because when I sprayed, the next day it rained. What's oh. your th- uh, talk about that?
2: Okay, you know what, it's great you're bringing this up, John, because this is the time. Dormant oil is the most important spray of the entire year for any of our garden plants. But, as you point out, fruit trees, uh, roses, berries, any plants, crab apples, plants that are susceptible to insects and diseases because they're very tasty plants, if we spray them when they're dormant, which is now we can prevent problems in the future. And uh, the fact that it rained, we like to try and spray dormant spray. Number one, plants have to be dormant. Number two, no rain for at least 24 hours. So if you had rain within 24 hours, I would spray again. Number two, it needs to be above zero. So if it's too cold, you're wasting your spray. And number three, spray when there's no wind, because uh, you'll be wearing the spray and you're going to smell like rotten eggs.
3: (laughs) Um, to tell you the truth, I can see a little bit, you know, bud. Uh, is that okay?
2: That's okay. No, the but it's we, we can spray as long as we don't have buds actually like green or it, particularly flowering. Like um, fruit trees pop their flower buds quite early in the spring. So if you can not even get out today, I would do another spray just on principle because uh, it is the a bit most spring no? spray. Oh. What's that?
3: It's cold today.
2: Um, it's five degrees. Well, it's going to be above zero. I mean, it might be go around zero now, but by this afternoon, where you are, it should be five or six degrees.
3: Yeah, well, I, I was thinking probably Monday morning, because like you said, I don't, I don't want to wear the bloody spray, because yeah. when, I, no, when I spray, Charlie, believe me, when I spray, those crows go straight, you know, from top to bottom, they go straight under the wash. Yeah, I bet.
2: Oh, um, yeah. Well, the thing with a dormant tree or shrub is that there's no leaves to catch the spray, so there's always overspray. So you got to be careful. Don't don't try not to spray like on your house or your fences because it is oil. It's a light horticultural oil, a mineral oil, and it will stain your clothes and your fences. Uh, But it won't damage plants. uh, But it will prevent insect and disease problems. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And just as a quick aside, um, I did receive Rosemary Dobson sent a note saying, how come it's so hard to find dormant spray this spring? And I, I thought, wow, I didn't know there was a shortage of dormant spray. But when I looked, there does seem to be a bit of an issue in places like Canadian Tire do not appear to have it. And yet I see Home Hardware's got it. Uh, Rona's got it. Obviously, um, the Urban Nature Store. There are there are stores that have dormant spray kits. It's a box with two bottles. One bottle is lime sulfur. The other bottle is horticultural oil. And you mix those two liquids together with water, following the instructions, and spray when the conditions are right. And it's uh, it will annihilate insect eggs that are on your trees that are overwintering, and it will also annihilate fungal spores that have been, again, overwintering on your trees.
1: And maybe not an activity to do just before you're going out for a first date, because yeah. <laughs> you will smell like rotten eggs and you might not get the second date.
2: <laughs> well that's the lime sulfur part. So like John's point is yeah he strips down and washes everything right after. So and and when it's not windy it's always easier uh, to to spray when it's not windy. So you know certain conditions but a super you like I said if you're never going to spray ever throughout the year which we often don't do now because of the legislation that's come into effect this is the one you want to spray and you want to spray it now within the next You've got until the plants break, the buds start to break, until you start seeing green.
1: Okie dokie. Okay, we uh, we will be right back with much more on The Garden Show.
3: Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxclubs,
0: marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweetwilliams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: Yes, indeed, we are back here on The Garden Show. And Charlie, uh, very quickly, I, in line with some of the things we've been talking about our last segment, I have to read this email from Evelyn, who said that her neighbor has come up with an in- ingenious solution for ensuring that seedlings receive sufficient sun- sunlight. His house does not have enough light, so he puts his peat pots of seedlings on the parcel shelf and dashboard of his two cars. And they are <laughs> south-facing and hence receive plenty of sunlight. <laughs> what do you think of that? It's crazy.
2: I, well, no, it's pretty innovative. I think she's right. The one thing I would worry about is hot sun beating down onto a car, if the windows are all closed, could become a bit of an oven. So, you know, it's one of those, he day like today, you probably have to crack the windows a bit on the car. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, trying to keep the temperature optimal when when you can't really control it that well clouds sure. come over temperature drops but,
1: uh, but yeah. how interesting yeah. to think that we all have most of us our little greenhouses sitting in our in our driveway right.
2: <laughs> exactly well and you know if you can afford it and you have the space a grow light a setup with grow lights is absolutely the best i mean it, you have a lot more control over things i when we moved here i invested in an led light that I hang in my unfinished part of my basement on a chain so I can go up and down as necessary, start right down close. Obviously, as the plants grow, I move the light up, and it's been wonderful. I could never have started all the seedlings I've been starting without that light.
1: Wow. Some more good advice. Okay, let's go to our next caller. We have Marilyn uh, from Toronto. Welcome to The Garden Show, Marilyn.
4: Hello. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um I wanted to find out about lily of the valley. Um, there are some uh in the garden um growing um, but um I wondered if when I can transplant them to another um part of the garden.
2: huh okay, so good question. Some people who are listening right now would probably say why would you want to spread that around <laughs> lily of the valley does have a tendency to kind of go its own way and and just move around your garden anyway um, best time to transplant because all right so lily of the valley grows best as a as a forest like um an understory plant so at the feet or the roots of trees and shrubs so that nice sunlight that comes through in the spring, the leaves come up, the very fragrant flowers, white flowers grow. And then as summer progresses, it, it disappears lily, in a shady forest, lily of the valley disappears. It's what we call a spring ephemeral. However, sometimes people grow lily of the valley in the sun and then it doesn't disappear, but it does look pretty ragged as the season continues. Uh, It gets all brown spots and yellow streaks, et cetera. So I would move it when you can see it. So uh, you can wait till after it blooms or you could move it before it blooms. Of course, you're going to dig with uh, a little bit of leaf or crown. Um, The crown is where the stems and the roots come together. So you're going to dig with a sharp shovel and lift pieces of the lily of the valley so there's root and stem put it into the new spot um, moist you know water when you when you're moving it but make sure it's getting that that nice like leaf mulch high organic amount of soil make sure it's getting at least dappled sun it doesn't want deep deep dark shade but it certainly oh. does well in you know under trees and tucked into little dark corners where not much else grows and it's the fragrance and it's a nice cut flower too you can pick lily of the valley and bring it in and put it on the table it'll last for you know maybe up to a week depending on your indoor temperatures but it's a it's a it's a sweet plant and a lot of us have fond memories of it from when we were kids
4: mm-hmm. okay all right thank you very much i appreciate it. you're welcome yeah.
1: Thank you very much. I I do. That's a great smell, and I it it is a nice early spring flower, and uh, nice to, as you say, bring it in a tiny little vase, and it just can really perfume the place.
2: Yeah,
1: great. Love that lily of the valley. Okay, let's go to our next caller. We have Jean from Mississauga. Welcome to the Garden Show, Jean.
4: Good morning, Charlie and Dean. Good morning. About my English ivy, I have. um, I'm not sure whether you saw the picture or not, uh, but. It looks like the ice might have got it this past year again. How do you keep it full? It's it's um very full at the top. It grows like crazy in the season. Like two foot tentacles and I have to prune it probably three times a year from <laughs> to the top.
2: <laughs> right. So um yeah, thank you, uh, Jean. I did get your email and I did respond actually, yeah, last yesterday afternoon or evening. Um My question is, I've been sent a photograph, a brick wall. uh, English ivy is growing up the south face of that brick wall. I assume that the ivy is planted at the base of the wall and then the ivy is going up, right?
4: Yes, and it's been there for like 25, 30 years.
2: Right. So big old chunky roots down at the bottom there and lots of new growth up at the top, but pretty ragged in between. That south facing wall... Is uh, encourage well? You're getting sun and wind exposure on an evergreen in the winter, so of course, what's happening is is those evergreen leaves are dehydrating or desiccating in the sun and the wind, and they're turning brown. So your lower leaves are turning brown and looking quite you know scattered and not very pretty. And of course, the top, like you said, you've got lots of growth. You what I would do if I had that ivy and I wanted it on that wall. I would get out my pruners sometime in the next, even this week. I'd cut the whole, oh, it looks like three or four plants growing in a row. I'd cut them all down to about half their current height. And I would use my little fingers and I'd comb out all the dead stuff. I would um, add amend that soil, get some uh, organic material into that soil just to add a, a little better water retention for it to weather the winter. And then uh, it will start to grow. You don't want to have to, there's nothing worse than a plant that needs to be pruned like four or five times or three or four times a year. Like we have more important things to do than, than get out there and, you know, prune ivy because it's growing in the wrong direction. So do a real radical prune this spring. But when you're doing that radical prune, make sure, like I said, you're supplementing the soil. And then next, you get lots of new growth. It's going to look great this summer. Next fall, you're going to water like crazy before the ground freezes, so there's lots of moisture in the in the soil, and even potentially do a, a burlap blanket just across the face of that ivy if you can. Uh, you know, you'd have to use fishing line or something to hold the burlap in place. But either way, keeping the sun and the wind off that plant, it will come through the winter in better condition. I think.
4: So the bottom half of it there is pretty empty because. Last year, I pruned, picked myself all the leaves off that didn't survive. So, if I'm going to prune it down, all the roots are still on the brick walls. Like, they'd just stay there unless you pull them all off.
2: You're going to pull them off. They're not roots. They're little suckers. So, no, you're going to you're going to cut that whole thing down. You're going to pull everything off the wall. And where it's naked towards the bottom, new growth is going to come because of your pruning.
4: I see new growth all through the year, too. So I just didn't know what to do, whether I had to do well, something else to do it. But a fine prune, you know, okay. <clears throat> Well, the thing is, Jean, and this is true with clematis as
2: well. We and and climbing roses, same thing. We get lots of new growth on the tips of the plants through the growing season, but that does not look after the lower part of the plant. So we end up with the naked ankles or legs on the plant. Meanwhile, up at the top of the plant, we've got all kinds of fresh new stuff. For a good-looking plant, you want fresh right from the ground all the way up. And the way to do that is to prune. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. Good luck with that. Thanks
1: for calling. Okay, Charlie, uh, we have to take our, our last break. We do have some callers on the line. We will be right back with much more on The Garden Show.
0: Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: My goodness how an hour can fly by when you are having fun and we always do here on the Garden Show. Love all the callers, love all the questions. And uh, we're going to our next caller right now. We have Cheryl from Toronto. Welcome to the Garden Show, Cheryl.
4: Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Um yeah, speaking about roses, I wanted to dormant spray them today and I'm wondering mm-hmm. is it too early to cut them back?
2: Uh where you're in Toronto. Um hard to see for sure i would be inclined to if you want to spray them today spray them today and then wait yeah i mean you probably given the weather that i know toronto is going to have you're going to have like 20 degrees for about three days straight so they're going to start growing and it's hard to prune them once they start to grow so yeah spray wait till it dries and then prune and prune hard if you're gonna prune make it make it a good job nice sharp pruners angled cuts and fertilize always always fertilize your roses in the spring when you're pruning
4: okay and hen manure is good for them sure perfect okay one quick question when i prune them i mean can i prune them and then spray them with the dormant spray
2: yeah that's what i would do because it's less
4: spray that's what i was thinking all right thanks very much you're welcome.
1: Okay. Yeah, thanks, Cheryl. So a little bit of hen poo and a little bit of uh, aquarium water. Just throw it all on
4: there.
1: <laughs> all good. <laughs> all good. Okay. Um, and we Mississauga has been very, very well represented this week on the show, i got to tell you. We have another call from Mississauga, and it's another John from Mississauga. Welcome to the Garden Show, John.
3: Uh, thank you. Uh, good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Dean. Uh, happy Easter.
1: Thank, thank you. you. Happy Easter to you, yeah. too.
3: I have a, um, a bed of daylilies and joy sedum that are just starting to come up. But the beds really need to be thinned out. And I didn't know, is now the proper time to do it or do I wait till the fall?
2: I would do it now because now you can really see what's going on. Okay. You know, you cut, you're going to cut all your sedum back. And of course, clean up your daylilies, and it's going to be very obvious where these plants are. And there's that's two examples of plants that can really be happy and take over. So you'll likely see that the in the middle, you've got dead stuff, but all the live is in a ring around the original plant. So you've got like donuts of of new growth coming but the center is just corky barky dead dead material so it's a bit of a job but with a um, a digging fork if you can get in or, or a sharp shovel get in and you're gonna have to lift each of those plants then chop out the, the the live you know with a butcher's knife i would usually just slice the live stuff toss out all the dead stuff compost it and then, of course, what you're keeping is going to get replanted, but it's nice and it's manageable because there's no leaves on it yet. But it's clearly you can see what's alive at this point, I think.
3: OK, so you, you thin the plant out as opposed to moving, moving plants somewhere else or taking some out.
2: Well, well, you'll do both But by lifting the whole plant. You any one plant can probably be made into four or five plants. Right. Oh, okay. So just uh, you might want to give some to your neighbors, join your local hort society and put it into a plant sale replant if you want to keep that bed but this rejuvenation will be great because you'll by taking out all that crowded dead stuff in the middle where nothing really grew and everything was kind of thin and scraggly suddenly you're going to have beautiful green lush growth this
3: this season okay that's great thank you
2: okay good luck right. perfect perfect thank job you. for anybody who's got overgrown perennials particularly uh, the the lilies and sedum good examples
1: Okay, thanks for the call, there, John. Good luck. Uh, So, what's up in your garden this week, Charlie? What do you What do you got on the agenda?
2: Well, you know, it's one of those things where I keep kind of wandering around. Oh, I have to clean this up. You know, it's time to cut down the ornamental grasses, as an example you know the beautiful grasses that we love so much that fall down over the winter so i'll probably be crawling around doing a bit of that just trying to be really careful to not get into the gardens if they're not ready for my body weight because i don't want to compact the soil Um, pruning i always have i have a lot of young trees on my property we planted like 30 trees and this is that when trees are young this is the time to really look at them and make sure that they're growing properly for the future. Um, make sure they have a terminal single leader, generally speaking. So if you have to prune out other stuff to make sure you've got that single leader, and then really looking closely where I've got crisscrossing branches, oh. damage from from rubbing together, uh, branches that are growing to the inside and just causing a real mass of a mess. So and it's nice now cuz there's no leaves on the deciduous trees you can really see what you're doing and so that's prob that's my biggest thing i really need to do is get in there and get out my pruners sharpen them up and uh, get to work there Important to have sharp pruners yes Always clean cuts just like your lawnmower, right? A sharp blade gives a clean cut, which then gives you a nice, healthy plant. So that's important. All right, everybody. Enjoy the enjoy Easter and and chocolate and colored eggs and all that important stuff. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, callers. Thanks, Carlos. You earned your living today. You're <laughs> <laughs> See you again next week.
0: This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio.